Welcome, Rolling Hills Church family. I am so glad that you're joining in today. And whether you're in the family worship service today or whether you're watching online from somewhere, hey, just welcome, welcome. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you and I'm thankful for you. I know you may be joining in from your living room in Franklin or in Knowlesville or Nashville or Spring Hill, or you may be watching someplace in the country or around the world. But God is at work. And I want you to know that. I just encourage you in this time to focus on Him that's why we're here today, is we want to celebrate Jesus and focus our lives on Him. Uh, you know, during this time, we've had a lot of time as a family to play games. And our, our family loves games. We, we just have a great time laughing and being together. And last weekend, my sister came in town from Birmingham. My mom came over. And so there's Lisa, my amazing wife, and then Grace, who's 16, and Mabry is 14, and Kate, who's 11, and all of us are real competitive, okay? So we got this new game, or we're playing this new game, and it was a new game called Things. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a, a new game out there. And so we were looking at this game, and you read a question, and then everybody writes down an answer. And then you put your answer in this, you know, red solo cup, and everybody pulls out an answer, and they try to guess who said what answer. And so the question comes up, and it was like this, name a thing that's something that people believe is not true. All right, so name a thing that people believe is not true. And so we were pulling them out and somebody said the moon landing. And we we're like, yeah, that's hilarious. You know, a lot of people believe that it never happened. It was all staged or whatever. Somebody else said fake news, right? Everybody believes, you know, some people believe that all the news is real, right? And then somebody wrote, they wrote this. This is so funny. They wrote that parents do not have favorites. And we were like, what? Who wrote that? And Kate, our 11-year-old, goes, yes, that's not true. You know why? Because I'm the favorite. You know, and so Kate starts kind of doing a little dance. And, of course, Mabry and Grace are like, whoa, wait a minute. No, we're the favorite, right? We're the favorite child. And this whole disagreement kind of breaks out. And we ended up laughing. And they were going through why they were the favorites. And we had a great time. But today we're going to see a disagreement that happened. And we're going to see a disagreement of biblical proportions today. And I want to tell you, it has implications for us. And we're going to watch that unfold. Hey, we're in a great, great series called Life on Purpose. And you guys, this is our call, right? Our call is to live our lives on purpose. That's what God wants for us. And see, we're all living our life on some purpose, right? I mean, every one of us has an overarching purpose in our life. And maybe, maybe somebody has an overarching purpose of pleasure, right? And so their life is lived for pleasure. What's the next thing? When's my next vacation? When's my next spa day? When's my next mani or petty or, or whatever it is? And that is the overarching purpose of their life. That's what they're living for every moment. Other people have an overarching purpose of money, right? And their whole life is kind of based on making money and, and, and spending money. And, and they're always uptight about money and all their conversations about money and all their disagreements are about money. You know, it, it just drives their life. And other people, maybe it's sports. Maybe it's like, hey, I got this team and I watch them or it's a hobby or whatever. But as believers, our purpose is to be people who know Jesus. And people who make Jesus known. To know Jesus and to make him known. That becomes the purpose of our life. And when that's the purpose of our life, it impacts everything in us. I mean, really. And if we're living our lives for Christ, that's where joy comes. That's where hope comes. That's where peace comes. That's where fulfillment comes. Because Christ does not change. 
Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we have that consistency in our lives. And our life is built on a solid rock. You know, what happens is we tend to drift, though. We get distracted in life, and we start running after whether it's pleasure or money or things or stuff. And then we wake up a year later, five years, ten years, and we're like way over here. And we're going, I want to be over here. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly father. I want to be a, a, a man after God's heart. I want to be a godly wife or mother. I, I want to live my life for God's glory. I want to be a young woman of faith. I want to be strong and steadfast. Hey, focus on him. My prayer for you is this, that you don't get to the end of your life and have regrets. You get to the end of your life and you go, what? I wasn't perfect, but I live my life for the glory of God. I live my life and I have this deep relationship with Jesus. And when I go home, you know, and I'm in heaven, I get to spend eternity with the one that I love and the one who loves me. Oh, praise God. In this series, we're, we're walking with this guy named Saul. And this guy, we picked up his story when he was in his late 20s. He was living for himself, really. He was a lawyer. He was successful. He made a lot of money. <laughs> he was really religious, but he didn't know Jesus. And inside of his heart, man, he's angry. He's bitter. There's a lot of rage and unhappiness. And then he meets Jesus. On the road to Damascus, <laughs> he meets Jesus, and his life is forever changed. I mean, really, I mean, like his name changes from Saul to Paul. He becomes the apostle Paul, and he writes about love and joy and grace. He has this purpose in his life that transforms him and the world. He ends up writing over half the New Testament, and God uses him in a mighty way in his days. And that is my dream and my goal for all of us, that we would fulfill God's purpose for our life and our day and our generation. And let's continue on this journey today. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you up with me to Acts 15. Acts 15. All right, New Testament, kind of dial with me there. Maybe you've got version. You've got an app there on your phone. You can grab that uh, and follow along with this. Or you've got a Bible with you wherever you are, <laughs> in family ministry or whether you are in your living room or in your car. But look here in Acts chapter 15. It says this, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. What? Hold on, hold on, hold on, right? Remember Paul and Barnabas have just gone on this mission trip and, and they have been telling everybody about Jesus, the Greeks, the Gentiles, everybody's coming to know Christ. They've come back to the church in Antioch. There is a huge celebration Sunday, mission Sunday. People are so excited, all these people knowing Jesus. And then these people show up and say, hey, wait a minute, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. They're like, what? Hold on, man. <laughs> like, this is getting real now. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't want to do that. Hold on. Nobody said that was a part of the bargain, right? I mean, it was Jesus, right? Jesus plus nothing. And now you're saying circumcision. Well, <laughs> this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. Of course, you got a disagreement here, right? And you've got a big problem and a big disagreement. Well, Paul and Barnabas, hey, they were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, right? And that's where, you know, Peter is. That's where John is, the leaders of the church. And so Paul and Barnabas, like, we're going to make a trip 
to Jerusalem from Antioch. We're going to take some other people with us, and we're going to go find out what's really going on here. Right? And so they traveled 300 miles from Antioch to Jerusalem to go there. Well, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled throughout Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. Now, I love this because remember the Samaritans and the Jews, they, they hated each other. Well, they go through Samaria, and they're telling them about Jesus. And they're, man, so excited. And this news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So they get there, and everybody's like, wow, the church is growing in Antioch. That's great. And these mission trips, amazing. However, verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up, and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Okay, Pharisees, right there. Remember that? Remember these are the ones that Jesus had all the contention with. The Pharisees, many of them, hey, started believing in Jesus, the Messiah. He's come. And so they become Christ followers, but they keep their old traditions. They keep their old religion. And they're like, hey, you've got to be circumcised. We had to be circumcised right? You know, you got to keep the law of Moses. We had to keep the law of Moses. You've got to do that. And the law of Moses, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. <laughs> well, the apostles and elders had to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, I love that. I love that Peter stood up. I love that Peter, here he is, walked with Jesus, and he stood up. And he addressed them. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Now, you may remember Peter, right? In Acts chapter 10, had this vision of this sheet lowered down and, and God said, get up, kill and eat. And he goes, oh, I'm a Jew. I don't do that, Right? And, and God's like, hey, wait a minute, don't call anything unclean that I've made. And at that moment, there was the Gentile was knocking at the door and saying, hey, come to Cornelius's house, this Roman centurion. And Peter goes there and he walks into this Gentile's home and never been in a Gentile's home. And the whole household was there and they all accepted Christ. They were all baptized. It was amazing. And Peter says in verse nine, he did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? He's like, we haven't been able to keep the 613 laws, right? We haven't been able to do all that. Our ancestors struggled with that. Why do we do this? No, I love that exclamation point. We believe that it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are well, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So Peter stands up and speaks. Then Paul and Barnabas tell him what's happened and the amazing work that God's done. And then, verse 13, when they had finished, James spoke up. James. Guys, this James is the James who is the half-brother of Jesus. All right, think about that for a minute, right? I mean, Jesus... Fully God, fully man, born of a woman, born of Mary, his mom, earthly dad, Joseph, heavenly father. But Mary and Joseph had other children, and James was one of them. Now, imagine growing up in the household with Jesus, you know? 
But James realizes Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus' is death, his burial, then his resurrection, and Jesus appears to his half-brother. And James becomes a leader in the early church. In fact, he is the main leader. He leads the church for over 50 years there in Jerusalem. And James stands up. And he spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. I love how he uses Peter's Hebrew name. He says Simon, right? Simon, Hebrew. Let me identify. He's a Jew. And he's saying the Gentiles should be saved by faith. And he identified that. Well, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. So now he goes back and quotes an Old Testament passage from the book of Amos. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. That's in the Old Testament. God was doing this work the whole time, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I love that. James goes, hey, let's don't make it hard on them, guys. God is a God of grace. God is allowing them to be a part of what he's doing. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols. Now, why was that important? Well, back then, when you went to a pagan temple, they would do sacrifices, and they would sacrifice an animal, and then they would sell the meat, and it was cheap, all right? But you had to go into the pagan temple, and they're like, just stay away from pagan temples, right? Don't do the food sacrificed to idols. You may have to pay a little bit more, but it's not worth it you know, going in and compromising your faith there. Hey, and from sexual immorality. You know, just stay away from sexual immorality. Back then they had temple prostitutes in the pagan temples. I mean, it was like, yeah, don't do that, okay? Just stay away from that. From the meat of strangled animals. Why? Because the blood was still in that. Don't do that. And, and just from all blood, just stay away from that step. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues of every Sabbath. So they said, guys, here's the deal. We are so excited you're accepting Christ. Here's some things that you stay away from, right? But you are saved. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep 613 laws. We are excited you're a part of the family of God. Well, they give this letter and they give it to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas take a delegation. They head back up to the church in Antioch. And the church in Antioch's like, yes, woo, we don't have to be circumcised. <laughs> they were pumped about that. And they hear the letter, and they are so excited, and God is moving, and God is working. Well, it tells us, skip down to verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So they have this great resolution to this disagreement. And now Paul and Barnabas are like, hey, let's go back on our mission trip. Let's go back to, you know, Iconium and Lystra and Derby and all these places that we've been and encourage them. Well, Barnabas, verse 37, wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Wait a minute. What? They kind of have this disagreement right now between Paul and Barnabas. I mean, he, these two kind of super Christian guys, you know. I mean, Barnabas is the one who brought Paul in into the disciples and says, hey, this guy's legit. And Paul was going, yeah, I, I'm so thankful, Barnabas, 
But you brought John Mark last time on our first trip, and John Mark bailed. And we don't know what John Mark left for, you know, he was homesick, or he, like, he was sick himself, or if something happened with his family. But halfway through their first mission trip, he went back. And, and so Paul's like, I don't want to take a guy who's just going to be a halftimer. I don't want to take a guy who we're going to be, you know, have to tote along. I want to take people who are fully committed. And Barnabas is like, the guy's my cousin. We got to bring him, you know? Well, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. <laughs> he went through Syria and Sicilia and strengthening the churches. I mean, you see this disagreement that happens right there with these guys. But I want you to see this. The work didn't stop. You know what? Barnabas took John Mark and said, hey, we're going to go this way. And you know what? Paul took Silas and said, we're going to go this way. And now instead of having one mission team, they've got two mission teams and they're going out. They didn't quit. They didn't get mad or angry and blow up. They just said, hey, we're going to continue with the work. You go that way, I'll go this way. And the work will continue. You know, it's amazing because they will do some incredible work this way. Hey, guys, here's some things I want us to get today. And I don't want you to miss this. If you're taking notes, write these things down because it's so important for all of us. If you're on the Rolling Hills app, you can fill in the blanks right there. But look at this. Hey, we will, all, we will have disagreements in our life. Guys, we will have disagreements in our life. You know? This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So if you go back to this big debate that was happening about circumcision and keeping the law, Paul and Barnabas had this debate with the church there in Jerusalem. And these Pharisees, these Judaizers who were there, there was a debate. Just like last week we saw that we will have challenges in life, we will also have disagreements. Now, that's probably not a newsflash to you, but it is important to know. It is important to understand this. Because, you know, hey, I've got kids, and they're awesome, right? But just like my girls, sometimes we'll have disagreements, you know? It's going to happen. Yeah, married couples, I'm telling you, when, when you first met, you're so in love, you're dating, and everything is perfect, and it's great, you know? And then what happens, right? You get married, and there's that first disagreement. And the, and the wife's like, oh, he doesn't love me anymore. And the husband's like, oh, I knew it, you know? And, and all of a sudden, hey, listen, you're going to have those things. What do you do with that? How do you handle that? Expect them to come. You know, I remember in college, I had a roommate. In our sophomore year, this guy and I were good friends. We said, hey, let's room together. We got an apartment. And there was, you know, a couple other guys. And this guy, like, day one, you know, he ate some cereal that morning and left his bowl on the, like, couch with the milk in it. Like, just left it. And I was like, okay. So I cleaned it up, you know. Second day, same thing. So I cleaned it up. Third day, same thing. And I was like, Dude, this is crazy, you know, what, you know, but I didn't say anything. And I just thought, I'm going to see how long this goes. I left it over a week, this bowl with milk in it. And I was finally like, all right, we've got to have a disagreement, you know. And so we had a little talk, had to get things worked out. And, you know, those things are going to come. They're going to happen in life. Just understand that. Why? Because there's no perfect people. There's no perfect people. None of us are perfect. And everyone has an opinion, okay. Everyone has an opinion. There are things out there today. Everybody's got an opinion, right? And we have to understand, we live in this fallen world. We live in this broken world. 
and people are going to make mistakes, and people are going to have disagreements. Hey, there are even disagreements in church. Really? There you are, Acts 15, a disagreement that's happening in a church. Hey, Paul and Barnabas, super Christians. I mean, right? These guys are missionaries. Disagreement happens. There will be disagreements. You know, there's denominations all over the United States and all over the world. Why? Because somebody had a disagreement at some point. But how we handle that disagreement is so important. And I love that the church here in Acts 15 worked together. You know, people didn't just get mad, like, I'm leaving the church. Uh, you know, I, no, they were like, I'm going to work together. We want to come together. Let's figure out how to do this together. Why? Because number two, how we handle disagreements reveals our spiritual maturity. That's big. And I believe that with all my heart. How we handle disagreements reveals our spiritual maturity. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. This guy, James, was known as the wise. I mean, that's what they called him. Can you imagine? That, like, that's his name. Hey, the wise. James, the half-brother of Jesus. James was also called Camel Need James because he spent so much time in prayer that his knees were deformed. This guy was amazing. <laughs> hey, who do you go to for counsel? You know, when you have that disagreement in your marriage, who do you go to? Sometimes you're talking to people and they go, well, you know, I, I got this friend, I got this buddy, and I just go and I just like, ah, I tell him everything. And, you know, he's always like, ah, do this, do this. And you're like, really? That's who you go to, right? You know, your, your, your fishing buddy? I mean, like, he doesn't even go to church. He's not even a believer, right? Or, or women like, well, I've got this friend from middle school and I got this friend and, you know, I always call her because, you know, she's been married three times and so she's got, you know, a lot of, you know, knowledge about, it. you're like, what? Wait a minute. I mean, that's not make her an expert, right? I mean, the three, come on. Who do you go to for wisdom? Who do you go to for godly counsel? I mean, if you start hanging around like people like that, that's where your life's going to go. Do you have somebody like this in your life? That's why it's so important to be in church. That's why it's so important to have marriage mentors in your life. We need people around us who we can call, who can encourage us, you know. And our parents are godly, praise God. Or we have friends who are godly, but make sure that they're godly. Make sure that they're wise. Who are you listening to? You know, men... Hey, I just want to tell you, I just encourage you. We have what's called Men's Leadership Network. And Men's Leadership Network, we designed it for men, right? I mean, we don't, men don't have a lot of place to talk about problems or issues or something. And so we just started saying, hey, men deal with things differently than women do. How can we create a forum and a platform where we can have podcasts and emails to encourage men? Now, this coming Friday, there's a, a podcast we're posting with Mike Fisher. And he's, he's talking about this whole thing about marriage and talk about raising kids and life. And I'm not talking, it is godly. It is wise. Don't miss it. Mensleadershipnetwork.com. Women, jump into Bible studies. Kelly Minter has some amazing studies. But be a part of a body where we're getting wisdom. Getting wisdom. James stood up. And the wisdom that came out in the middle of this dispute, in the middle of this disagreement, was transformational. Hey, learn to compromise. James's guy's like, hey, we got a compromise here, right? You guys want them to be circumcised and to keep 613 laws? It's not going to happen, right? 
you guys over here just want everything, right? And, and no, no, no. You need to understand that as a believer, you're called to live differently. So let's compromise. Let's work together. You know what, what, what hurts so many marriages is just this, this thought that I can't compromise, that I've got to win. I've got to be right, you know? And come on, stop. Learn to compromise. Learn to work together. That's the beauty. That's maturity. And as you and I grow and mature, we go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to learn to compromise. I want to learn to work with people. I want it to be a win-win and not a I win, you lose kind of situation. Hey, relationships are more important than winning the argument. Don't miss that. Relationships are more important than winning the argument. You can win the argument and you can lose relationships. Your marriage impacts more than just you. It impacts your kids. It impacts your grandkids. It impacts generations. Guys, church impacts more than just you. Relationships at church and how we handle our relationships here impact our community, impact generations. And I love that the early church said, this is too important. We're all on the same team. Let's work together. And so in our lives, we have to say, how can I value the person over me just winning? How can I value them over me? How can I put Jesus first? Hey, don't let disagreements divide. Don't let disagreements divide. This, you know, Acts 15, I can't stress it enough. This whole idea of circumcision, I mean, it was a big deal. I mean, it goes back to Abraham, right? I mean, you're talking like, you know, 2,000 years. I mean, like, I mean, all this stuff that was happening, and it was leading up. And the Jewish people, it was how they defined themselves. It was a big deal. But man, for the Gentiles, it was, they would have been like, no way. No way. We're not doing this. So how God intervened here was so important. Don't let disagreements divide. Don't let divide your marriage. Don't let divide, you know, your family, your kids. Don't get so entrenched that you're not willing to work on that relationship. Don't let it divide friendships. Don't let it divide at church. You know, Satan, our enemy, just wants to divide, Right? And especially today, I mean, man, we got the election, we've got school reopenings, we've got people with masks or no masks. I mean, we got a lot of things that can bring division, but we're all on the same team. And it reveals our spiritual maturity, how we handle disagreements. And as we mature in the Lord, man, we become people of purpose. It becomes about Jesus. All right, look at this. Number three, the Christian life is all about grace. Guys, don't miss this. The Christian life is all about Grace. Peter said, no, exclamation point. Peter stood up. We believe that it's through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter's like, guys, don't miss this. It's not the law that saves us, right? It's not circumcision that saves us. It's Jesus who saves us, right? Jesus is the one who transforms us. And for the Gentiles, it's Jesus Hey, we're just like them. It's all about grace. There may be disagreements, but what unites us is grace. <laughs> right? We may disagree on things in life. We may disagree on things in our marriage. We may disagree with things in church. We may disagree with things. But what unites us is the grace of God. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who is for us. We are on the same team there. We are all in need of grace. Guys, we're all in need of grace. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. 
We are all in need. Remember that, every single person. Hey, grace is when we, we receive what we don't deserve. <laughs> grace is when we receive what we don't deserve. We didn't deserve the freedom that we have in Christ. God gave us his son for us to live that way. There's a great movie called Harriet, right? And the movie is about Harriet Tubman. And, and you know the story of Harriet Tubman probably. I mean, Harriet Tubman, she was a strong believer, passionate about Jesus. The Holy Spirit just guided her. She was a slave. She got her freedom. She escaped. But then she went back in and started delivering other slaves. She became a leader of the Underground Railroad. I mean, this woman was remarkable. I mean, how many trips and how many lives that she saved. And there's a part in the movie where she's at this wealthy politician's house up in the north and, you know, this white politician and all these people are there. And they were talking about freedom for slavery. And, and, and she spoke up. And they, somebody said, you know, why are you so passionate about this? And Harriet Tubman said, I've never forgotten what it was to be a slave. I've never forgotten what it was to be a slave. And sometimes we forget what it was when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. We forget what it was like before we knew Jesus. We forget that we didn't have hope. We didn't have life. We didn't have peace. We didn't have purpose. We forget that we were blind and could not see until Jesus came along. Don't forget that. We didn't deserve it. God saved us. Hey, so once we receive grace, we must learn to give grace. We must learn to give grace to others. Jesus taught us to pray and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Look at the correlation. As we forgive those who sin against us, right? As we are forgiven, we ought to be people who forgive. The Jerusalem church had to learn this and Paul had to learn this as well. The Jerusalem church had to learn, right? We want to be on the same team. We want to offer grace. We want to offer forgiveness. We want to work together. And Paul has to learn this. Remember, it's not about you. Your life purpose is about Jesus. It's not about you winning. It's not about you getting more money or more esteem or more status or more significance. It's about me knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And I make Jesus known when I share. I make Jesus known when I forgive. I make Jesus known when I love, when I offer grace. Our call in Jesus is to share the grace we have received with others. That's our call, to share the grace that we have received with others. How are we doing that? In your life, is there an area where you're harboring bitterness towards somebody? Is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there somebody you need to offer grace to? That's our call. That's who we are as Christ followers. Hey guys, Always err on the side of grace. Always err on the side of grace. You know, your call is not to be right. Your call is to be godly. Your, your call is not to be right. Your call is to be godly. How can I redeem? How can I love? How can I offer grace? How can I offer encouragement? How can I help others be better? Paul had to learn this, right? I mean, Paul, who didn't want to take John Mark with him, you know, and he kind of got entrenched there. And he's like, no. And this disagreement and Barnabas takes John Mark and goes off. But I love that Barnabas and John Mark didn't get mad, they didn't get angry, they didn't leave. They, they went and did the work of the Lord. Paul took Silas, went and did the work of the Lord. And Paul, as he matured, right, even super Christian, we continue to mature, we continue to grow. You are continuing to grow, I'm continuing to grow. Hey, as he continued to grow, he started to realize, hey, John Mark, that guy really loves the Lord. 
and I need to reach back out to him. And later on in his life, Paul will write to him and encourage him. John Mark will go on to write the Gospel of Mark. Isn't that amazing, right? And later on, when Paul, right before he's in prison, he's getting ready to, be, to die, to be martyred for his faith, he says, hey, send for John Mark, because that guy's useful to me. I like that guy. He sticks with it. He stays with it. That's maturity. That's growth. Guys, look. Paul will write this, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is grace. We've received grace. Let's live in grace. We've received the goodness of God. Let's share the goodness of God. Let's be people who offer that grace to others. You know, there's a guy named John Newton. And John Newton was born in 1725 in England. And John Newton, as he grew up, he went to be a part of the Royal Navy And he becomes this hardened ship captain. And then he goes on to captain slave ships, bringing slaves out of Africa to England. And he was just an unpleasant, arrogant, angry kind of guy until he got caught in the middle of a storm in the Atlantic on March 10th. He's late in his 20s, and God just got a hold of his heart. He met Jesus on that ship. He thought he was going to die. He commits his life to Christ, and God starts working in his heart and in his life, and he realizes what he's doing. He realizes what's happening in the the slavery, and and it just breaks him, and he ends up leaving that, and he goes, and he becomes a a, a clergyman. He becomes a pastor there at a church in England, and he sits down with a guy one day, and he writes this song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. I saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And the joy that came in his life and the hope because of the grace of God. And then he partners with a guy named William Wilberforce. And by the time John Newton dies, they've worked together to abolish slavery in all of England. He received that grace and he realized that I need to offer that grace. I need to be one to make a difference in somebody else's life. Amazing hey, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your marriage. I don't know what's going on with your kids or your families or with your roommate. But I want you to know this, God loves you. And God wants to do work in our hearts today. We're gonna have disagreements. Maybe you're in the middle of one. But in the middle of that, can you be a person of redemption? Can you be a person of grace? Same grace that you receive, can you offer it to others? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes wherever you are. And the only reason we do that is just to block out distractions. But right now in your life, I just want to ask you, have you ever received the grace of God in your life? Has there ever been a time that you've said, Jesus, come in and forgive my sins, redeem me, restore me. I want your grace. See, it's not about your race that's going to save you like the Jews thought. It's not about being born in a godly family. I mean, there comes a point where you accept Christ. It's not about your works and all the things you do. You can't boast in that. It's about you saying, Jesus, I need your grace. And then maybe today, is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there somebody you need to offer grace to? Maybe to your spouse. Maybe there's some bitterness and anger there. You need to go and say, hey, listen, I love you. And our relationship's too important. 
maybe to your kids. Maybe you need to apologize. Maybe a coworker or a friend. Maybe there's some wise counsel you need to seek and say, hey, I, I need to sign up for counseling. I need, to, I need somebody to help me walk through this with me. I don't know where you are, but God does. So Father God, here we are. You brought us today, Father. You brought us to hear this message right here today. And Father, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would shape us into men and women after you. That we would want to know Jesus and make him known. So work in our hearts right now. Change us just as you did Saul to Paul, just as you did John Newton. And God, that you would change us and that we would fulfill our purpose in our day and our generation. So Lord, we love you and we dedicate our lives to you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.